Thou shall not. <laughs> I'm on, right? Thou shall not make masks your religion. It's that simple. If you try, you're going to leave this church because I'm your pastor and I'm not going to let you. It doesn't mean you can't wear masks. There's a big difference between treating something like a religion and treating something like it's an idea, a potential, a possibility, even a truth. What you can't do is start replacing the truths of the religion that God made and expect him not to get upset about that. So here's the way it works, really. It's not about COVID. It's not about mass. It's about idolatry. And anything that you set up because you think it's going to save you from death is an idol. And God will eventually make sure in no unequivocal terms that you know that. He'll do it by having your idol fail. What I don't want is for any of us here to put our hopes and our life on potential failed idols, even though the world's going to keep trying to tempt us to do that no matter what future comes. This, they just made it kind of easy right now to see what they're doing if you listen. But you have to reorient your mind. You have to stop thinking like someone who only listens to the box. Don't think inside the box, TV. You have to think outside the box with your Bible and start letting your Bible and you have a conversation. And then think in these old world Bible terms. Unseen things exist beyond viruses, although viruses are unseen things if you think about it. But other unseen things exist. And the entire modern world as we know it is trying to operate as if they don't. And that's why the clockwork is falling apart. They're trying to build a machine without a ghost in it, without a spirit in it, except themselves, and it won't work. Now, this shouldn't bother you at all. It may not even impact your life, although when your neighbor worships a false god, it tends to impact things in the region. That's what happens. That's what the whole issue with the Israelites and the Philistines is about in the Old Testament. Today, we're not going to dive into all of that. But what I want to tell you is that the Church of Jesus Christ is the place where people can disagree. Because we have something bigger than us about which there is no disagreement. He is risen. You are paid for. You are immortal now and he won't be long anyway. And if you can't say that, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Now, there are people who say I'm a Christian and say that. And that's why I got to say that now. We've let them make a living in the church, write books in the church, teach as if they are the prophets of the church. It's time to stop listening to them. And why should you trust me? How do you know I'm not here to deceive you all? That's the point. Get me out of the picture. Open your Psalms, open your Proverbs, try Ephesians, write some notes, come back. See if I said the same thing. That will not only change your life, it will change your life. It will embolden you. Because you'll figure out you have a real God and everyone else will worship in shadows. Shadows. Our real God is so powerful, he can bridge the gap between unbridgeable cultures black and white in America. You think we're unbridgeable? You should have seen Jew and Greek. Dear heavens. And the racist Jews of the Second Temple era, whatever they might be today, in the Second Temple era, the reason we have to struggle with this word Gentile in the Bible is because of the racism of the Jews of that era who called everybody who was not a Jew goyim. 
unclean, filthy, nasty peoples, less than peoples, not like us, not for whom the king shall come. The beauty is that they were wrong about that. They were wrong about that. Their own scriptures tell us that he comes for all. And so after he came, Jew and Gentile alike are free in Christ, but anybody who says not Christ, well, now you're out. And this is where then to get to our text, Ephesians 3, I got to at least have you kind of touch on Ephesians 2. The whole book is based upon the premise that you're saved. You're saved. Don't question it. Don't go home and wonder if you're really a believer. Save that for another time. If you're struggling, talk to me personally. But the text is not about that. The text is about how you are saved. Now what? Chapter 2, verse 11, therefore. You have a string of therefores that run from there through the rest of the book. And they're all based upon the fact that you are saved by grace, through faith. This not of yourselves, not of works, so no one can boast. And this will lead to our good works, as chapter 2, verse 10 says. But in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember you goyim in the flesh, you filthy people. He's a Jew, remember? He thought that. He stoned people for that reason. Remember that? This guy's a murderer. You unfilthy Gentile, you filthy Gentiles who are called the uncircumcision. That's how un unclean you are. Even your gonads are wrong. That's really what they think. Called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision made by flesh with hands. Uh, made on the flesh with hands. That at the time you were being without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So, without going through all those verses. First, therefore, remember, you Christian, you are saved, you're not a Jew. And you actually, therefore, are sort of secondarily saved. Really. It's weird, huh? Uh, it's only because humans are more like trees than like Darwin's kind of evolution thing in that everything's about proximity. And so the fact is Jesus came to the Jews first, right? He's born among them. He talked to them. He even says, I came to you and not to the Gentiles. He says it all the time. Why? Proximity. Humans are physical beings with, within space. And that's how Jesus and his religion work. So remember, if you are coming from outside of Jesus' religion, into Jesus' religion. He's doing it. It's all good news. Just don't start thinking, especially as we talk about the Jews not believing, don't start thinking you're above them. Don't think, think you're in because you're special. Right? Don't forget, that's the first therefore. Verse 14, he makes peace between us then. This is between Jew and Gentile in the text, but what it means now, if you can, if you can extrapolate this, is that everything that Jesus has not commanded or forbidden we have the power and the imprimatur, the command to be at peace with each other about it. Those things which he has commanded and forbidden, we are not free to sit by and be at peace with people breaking those things. And again, it is, it is that simple. He has broken down the dividing wall between us, between people who disagree about our opinions, Jew and Gentile being primary, and done that in his own flesh and blood. That's again the therefore he wants you to see to build on what he's going to say next. Okay. So verse 19, another therefore. Now, therefore, everything's different. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, words they would have used to describe you when you were not a Jew. Now, neither Jew nor Gentile really applies. There is no foreigner to God in the resurrection of Jesus. All people born of Adam and Eve are paid for in him. Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ himself, the cornerstone, holding the whole building together. 
That brings us to then our text, okay? And we have then, uh-oh, hopefully we caught most of that. We have then uh, with our text another therefore, but it comes off as for this reason, okay? So chapter three, verse one is a therefore thought, but is for this reason, because I'm saved, because Jew and Gentile don't matter anymore. Race doesn't matter anymore. Culture, in this sense, for salvation's sake, doesn't matter anymore. Medicine doesn't matter anymore. Science doesn't matter anymore. Stories don't matter anymore. Nothing matters because Christ is risen. Does that mean nothing matters ever, ever, and you don't want to feed your kids? No. But if you're talking about the big picture, yes. Daily bread, yes. Jesus is in charge, yes. For this reason, then, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, this guy was going to be like a, a lord among his people, a priest of sorts, sitting there with money flowing in and out of his house. He could have his enemies murdered if he wanted to. He did it. Now he's in jail in some foreign city with a bunch of people he doesn't even know because Jesus has risen from the dead and it changes everything. It don't matter where you are right now. You can give it all up right now because what's coming is like light compared to darkness. For this reason, I, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, you nations, you goyim, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. I'll go back to the ESV now that we're, uh, we're back in the big text. So one of the hard things about Ephesians 3, 1 and 2 is that it's an incomplete sentence. Okay, so if you look at it, it's not a sentence, and you're like, it doesn't work. What's going on? And it, just, it doesn't work. That's, that's the point. Um, in the Greek, it's the same problem. Paul is saying, therefore, I'm in prison because of this. Oh, yeah, have I told you about how I converted? I forgot. I can't remember. I'm going to go on. That's sort of what happens, but he never, never finishes the sentence. You have a pastor who does this kind of thing sometimes, too, right, if you've noticed. Um, so it, it, he's, he's in prison. He says, I'm your steward. I'm caring for you. I'm caring for the grace you're going to receive and that it's a mystery. Then he goes into a new sentence in verse four. Okay, so verse four, we have clear paragraph from here on. He says, when you read this, the letter, which is being read aloud to the church thereat, you can perceive my insight, Paul's, into the mystery of Christ. If you want to concept something today, figure out what this means in the text, the mystery of Christ. It's two things, I think. It was not made known, notice this, this is not an Old Testament easy-to-see thing. It was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What I would say that means in summary is the Old Testament points to it, but you can't see it in the Old Testament till it happens. It's kind of like, you ever try to figure out what a shadow is, I say it this way, have you ever tried to figure out what the face of someone looks like from only their shadow? Right? That's what you're doing when you try to see Jesus through the Old Testament from the Old Testament. But if you come to the resurrection and you look back, well, you see his face all the way. And that's what he's saying, that he has. And everything he writes is there to give us more of that. That he sees Christ in the Old Testament. And the mystery that was missed up to this point, the thing he needs to fix, is that the goyim, the nations, us, the Gentiles, non-Jews, are fellow heirs. Jews aren't out either. We're all in. We are all brought into being heirs, members of the same body, and partakers, fellowshippers, eaters of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul's thrust at this point in the whole letter 
is to convince you that because you know you are saved from sin, death, and the power of the devil, you should be competent to walk with people you disagree with toward salvation. You should be able to stand side by side toward your greatest temporal enemy at the Lord's Supper and bow together and receive God, turn at each other, say, I forgive you. On judgment day, I will not hold it against you. Can we go outside and work this out, please? And really, I mean, work this out, please. We have that power, even though Twitter doesn't. Of this good news, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Remember that Paul considers himself unworthy for his task, his whole life. He's haunted by Stephen's death, haunted by it. Uh, would you not be this innocent man whom you saw murdered? I mean, I can't imagine. So he always is bringing up how he's the least of the saints. But look, it was so interesting to me, and I've, I've had to wrestle with this as a pastor because it really is true, but it's also not what you would think. He says, the grace is middle of verse eight. The grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he's like, I used to be famous. I used to be rich. Now I'm in prison, but it's kind of awesome because I get to talk about Jesus to people who never heard about him yet. And I'm totally cool with that. That's what he says. I mean, we're afraid to pray, right? <laughs> like, it's incredible. Uh, he considers it a, a blessing to be able to be punished for saying what the Bible says. This happens to the apostles Peter and I think it's John in Acts. Do you remember this? Like early on, it's like the first week or two, uh, they get arrested and they get charged not to speak about the resurrection of Jesus. And they say, oh, we must obey God rather than men. Maybe, maybe that sticks in the mind. Well, they let them go. But before they let them go, they beat them. They beat them. And I'm not talking like, like light hampy smack. This is like the stuff that you see downtown Rockford in the, you know, who they arrested this last week. And if you don't follow that Twitter, I do. Um, mm. The beating down... Sorry. Uh, the, I got, I got, sorry, I got caught up in the picture of that, that guy's face. I saw a picture this week that was just brutal. Um, the, the beating down that is allowed to occur in this age of your conscience more than your body, of your heart more than your mind, of your emotions more than anything else, is the fact that you're not allowed to believe in the freedom to walk and have your own view of what the scriptures say. But Paul is going to insist that if you let that be taken away from you, if you let someone take away from you the chance to say, I believe in Jesus and the Bible says this and I'm going to stand on it, that there is no path back to that. And that's why as a congregation, we are in a very dynamic place. Ultimately, masks don't matter. Not to God. They really don't which is why we can't set our footprint on them as permanent things, right? Does that make sense? We must stand on what is permanent and then allow for that to overcome everything else. Now, where I want to go with this is the meat here in verse 9 and 10, that as Paul saw of old, the unifying of the Gentiles and the Jews in one church, the early Christian church, and as he says, we should be able to absorb and adopt everybody into our practice of what the scriptures truly say as the church on earth. There's another level that's taking place behind everything. And there are other verses in the Bible that hint at this. But this is, I think, one of the most clear. It's terribly beautiful. And it's awe-inspiring as well. 
but you have to really slow down on it. So again, I got distracted by him being the least of the saints, but his job of preaching the Gentile to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches to bring to light for everybody, this mystery, verse nine, mystery hidden for ages. The one who created all things, all of that is leading to a final therefore in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. To who? To who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I'm going to read it again. Ephesians 3, verse 10. Highlight it. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There is something going on with Christianity that we never get to see, ever, maybe ever, ever, ever. A war between light and darkness taking place behind us, between angels and demons, powers and principalities, all that stuff. What this text says is that as we learn to not fix it ourselves, to be able to disagree to fail and suffer together and to say, it's all right, daily bread, praise be to Jesus. It's good for the angels. They like it. It helps them. They're learning something. Both good and bad ones, I think. Now, what can you do with this information? If I can convince you of anything today, I want to convince you to start praying out loud and reading the Bible out loud. And the reason is because I would like you to consider there are angels nearby and they kind of like it. Imagine being those angels who were given to be in Jerusalem way back when. Now they're real beings. They still exist, right? So they're way back there and they're hearing David sing these psalms. You hear that. In Hebrew, way back when, by the very temple where God, your God is, you're an angel, you're hidden, you're making it all happen. Part of this whole thing. And over history, it, it stops getting said. And it gets brought back, and it gets stopped, and it translates, and then it stops, and it translates, and then it stops. Let me suggest to you something. Let me suggest that 100 years ago, in any given private home in this country, you had a significant majority of people reading the Bible out loud and praying out loud. And today you don't. I'm not going to one-to-one tie this to you know, the U.S., but really, if you don't worship your God, what do you expect? And if you're not going to let the voice of your God be heard in your home, well, again, you're acting like you're alone. And you're not alone. That's the point. So what happens when you know you're not alone, right? Verse 11, when the eternal purpose starts to make sense to you, when you can see glimmers of why that are beyond me and becomes us, according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness. I mentioned that earlier. The distinction between the Christian and the pagan is we know what our God has said. We know the sacrifice has been achieved. We know we are clean. And so we can, with boldness, go to our God right now and say, Lord Jesus, you know what? I did this two weeks ago. You know what? We deserve for the nuclear war to happen. We do. At this point, looking at my country, are you kidding me? We're giving like eight-year-olds therapy with hormone treatment to make boys into girls. We deserve it. 
I said, we deserve it. But if you would be so kind as to cause us to repent instead, I'd prefer that answer. Now, you can say, why would you pray that? And I could say, why would I not? How many of you have been praying that he would avert civil war or nuclear war or world war? And if we don't, why do we think he should? You see what I'm saying? Now, it's not as hard as you carrying anything on your shoulders. You do not need to believe you can change the world with your prayers. You just need to believe God wants to change you with your prayers. And then your world's going to change because he's going to do it. But not the way you expect. I mentioned last week quite a bit about the way you should expect. And I'll do it briefly here by just continuing the text on. Because right after verses 10 and 11, um, 12, 13, you end up at verse 14 with another therefore. Although this is the for this reason, therefore, the same idea. Because of, because of, because of. So because you are saved, because you are one people in Christ, because the church being gathered together as people around the words of Christ that cannot perish, will endure and show all the good heavens as well, why God is who he is, so that it's never questioned again. For this reason, I, Paul, verse 14, bow my knees. Notice how he kneels. To the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he mentions the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth, family in heaven and on earth is named. That he, the Father, would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ might dwell in your heart through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, might be able to comprehend with all Christians what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Jesus which surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't think I have to explain that to you. I can just say to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And that the chapter, chapter 4, I therefore, another therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. He mentions prison again. He goes on. The, the point here then, right? If you're going to take anything from this besides Ephesians 2 says you're saved, don't worry about it. Get busy actually believing it. You're his. You're in. Let's like live together now, right? Getting past that, let's live together now. There's going to be divisions. The divisions are going to be based on the lies of men, always. The only place you know there are no lies of men is in the text of the Bible itself. And from there, together, we have to walk out and try to discern. And that is what he's doing as church, on purpose, to reveal to all how great he is. I could say it a different way. Like, we want to think that if he sat down on the throne in Jerusalem like Solomon, like, like after he rose from the dead, and started telling us what to do, it would have been better, right? But the wisdom he's trying to reveal is that he can put his eternal, his undying word into lips like yours. It'll make you come back to life. He doesn't have to make the whole world shine and give you everything you want. He can just promise you. That's how strong he is. And that's what he's proven to everybody. That the guy who doubts his word, Lucifer, that was a bad guess. It's a really bad guess. And now... You don't have to guess. You are bold in him. You are heirs in him. You have again this faith, strengthened with might, Christ dwelling in you, rooted. Rooted in what? The height, the length, depth, 
the love of the God who became flesh and died for you. I always like to turn as much of these, this one's pretty short, um, this direction. Because the mystery of the sacrament and the sacraments, and we use those, that word sacrament to mean mystery. The two things Jesus said to do that don't make physical scientific sense are to get people wet with water and then tell them that that's regeneration. It's just, it just doesn't really figure, um, except for that it can only be received by faith alone, and then it starts to make sense. Um, the, the supper is kind of the same way, and you have to see them as birth and daily bread. Right? So you are born and then you eat. You're born and then you eat. You're only born once, you eat all life. Okay, well, baptism, you're baptized once and then you eat. Right? So when you repent again, you come back to the supper. Do you want to get baptized again? Don't. Come back to the supper. Right? This is built here to be for us that. Think of them as like planks on the side of the ship to crawl back up into the ship on. And it's not by your own power, of course. But in this ship, this ark that we have here, this space uh, that is moving through time. Can you imagine right now? Like You think we're not in a ship, Pastor. We're in a house. I love it. I, I'm going to waste your time now. All right. What, what direction is that? Is that west? Yeah. So we're all going that way like super fast right now. You know that? Like all of us. We just can't feel it because we're on a ball. <laughs> we're doing this on this ball right now. Can't even feel it. And that ball is going <laughs> around the sun. So we're doing it twice. At the exact same time. We're, we're flying through space at cosmic speeds in a little tiny boat that happens to be shut in by God according to the flesh and blood of the risen Savior. So let me just encourage you every week to remember this space as indeed that. Uh, a place wherein we are gathered so that the storms and the chaos, it does not throw us aside from what we know to be true. But Leviathan, he has many heads. Christ has crushed all of them by taking them into himself. And now he takes you into himself, not to leave you in the grave, but to make you rise up on that last day as he swears again and again, yay, yay, you eat my flesh and drink my blood. I will raise you up on the last day. Mm. So we feast in the